Good morning, church. Last week, we kind of took a big picture of the law. I spent time, and the law is, is a grand thing. And I wanted to, like in an airplane, kind of look down and kind of get a big picture of the law and what's all in the law and what primarily does the law speak of. And again, if you remember, the law speaks and expresses God's character. So important. When you look at the law, don't get lost in that. It expresses God's character. And it also expresses His will for His people to maintain relationship. But also in that, it exposes our sin. And we need a Savior. We need a Savior to come and save us. And this week, I want to take some time and look a little bit more on a kind of a focus area, almost like a magnifying glass, almost like kind of really looking down at a, at a main thing. And what I want to do is just look at three things. I'm going to just give you up front what they are, how they are connected, how the law has connectiveness. That's very important. And how the law speaks and points to the gospel message. It's number two. But here it is. The third one, and I just... The radical call Jesus gives in the law. And I've got a chair here because I want to sit down. Part of my sermon, I'm going to be sitting because this... You hear me word, use words like unbelievable, amazing. Sometimes you walk away and you just go, oh, that was great. Oh, I'm so refreshed. I'm encouraged. The Word of God does that. But this week, we need to sit down. Take a look at 2 Timothy. Second Timothy. Again, if you're going through the Bible, there's a bunch of T's before Hebrews and then some of the popular names. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got some extra Bibles. Second Timothy chapter 3. When we look at the radical call that Jesus gives in the law, we need to sit down. We need to look at our hearts. We need to just take some time and just go, whoa, this is going to be serious. Take a look at what this says. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is, here it is, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Then the next verse, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Today, for some of you, it's good you're seated. Because as we look at this radical call that Jesus gives in the law, there's going to be some teaching, some rebuking, and some correcting. But it doesn't stop there. So that, in the training of righteousness, that you might be fully equipped. 
to do his work. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the the privilege we have to meet in this school. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to pray for this nation, that you would allow this state to allow churches to meet in schools. There are some states who say, no, this is a state building. This is not a place for churches. And they don't allow churches to meet in schools. We pray that in this state it would continue, that you would have favor on us, dear Lord, that we'd continue to be able to meet. And if not, we'll move someplace else like we've moved before. And Lord, we pray today that you would just move in our hearts. Lord, awaken us. May we see the reality of what you, Jesus, spoke of when you looked at the law. Guide us today, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. First, I want to speak of the interconnectedness of the law. And I just want to do two little things, and we'll kind of anchor in that third one. The first one, as I've, I've taken three weeks to prepare for this sermon, I have spent well over 80 hours of just reading and praying and preparing, and there's just so many things that I've seen that, that has kept me up all night. It's just, it's just amazing. Let's go to Exodus 20, okay? Turn to Exodus 20. Here we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Words, the Decalogue. This is the great summary of all the laws. It's it's all right here. And it is truly a shame that today most children don't know these. How many of you, when you were kids, had to memorize the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, everyone knew that. Everyone had the Ten Commandments. Now... It's not the case. But I want to show you how these are connected. Because some of you just think, well, these laws, you know, yeah, let's let's obey them. Well, if I just break one, I guess it's not too bad. Let's say my name is Jean Valjean. Does anybody know what that means when I'm saying that? Okay, a couple of you, okay. Let's say my name is Jean Valjean, and I'm hungry. And I realize my family needs some bread. Because truly, Pastor Cody loves bread. Meat, potatoes, and bread. I love fresh bread. And just, oh, it's yummy. Let's say I'm hungry and I want some bread. And I go out and I steal some bread. My name is Jean Valjean. You can call me 24601, whatever you want to call me. And I'm out, I'm going to steal some bread. And I break what commandment? Take a look in there. We'll have it up on the screen here. What's the commandment I break? I, oh, I broke a commandment. Well, I broke a commandment. Okay. It's not too bad. I just broke one. Listen. We'll get this towards the end of this. There is an connectiveness to all of these that you don't realize maybe. I want to just show this to you. When you break the Eighth Commandment, I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 30. The last part says this. Or I may become poor and steal. Call me Jean Valjean. And so dishonor the name of my God. So in stealing, that also leads to the next one I break. What's the next one I break? The third commandment. Do you realize that when you steal, you also break the third commandment? Wow, they're connected. Listen to this again. Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. The third commandment. 
And when you dishonor God, you also would dishonor what? What's the next commandment you would break? These are not in order, but take a look. The next one is what? You then break... Which one would you break in there? You dishonor your parents. You dishonor your parents. The fifth one. So now you've already, just with stealing, you're already breaking other commandments. You're dishonoring God and your parents, your father's name, your mother's name. You're you're bringing shame to your family. You break that. Then, also, you're coveting something that's not yours. I want that bread. Oh, it's so great. Tons of butter on that. In my family, we call butter frosting. That's how much we love butter and bread. Could I have some frosting for my bread, please? Kind of layer it on there, you know, half inch of butter. So you're coveting, and what does that do? That breaks the other commandment. Number 10, you're coveting something. So in stealing, it's connected to the third commandment, the fifth commandment, the tenth commandment. You're breaking all these commandments just by breaking one. And then you're putting material things ahead of God, who is your provider, and then you're breaking the first and second commandment. Ephesians 5, 5. Listen to this. For of these you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ or of God. So when you begin to put material things before God, stealing leads to breaking all of these. It's amazing. And then possibly, I'm kind of maybe stretching some of this a little bit here, possibly doing these actions could harm another person. You want that bread so bad, you start fighting for that person, and you push the person over, and let's say it would die. Okay? It could lead stealing, and I try to get a line to determine how many thefts lead to murder. I couldn't find the stats because... It's the internet, and it's the news and media. Do we truly believe that stuff? Anyways, I'm trying to figure out the true stats in that, but much people who, many of the people who steal, who are thieves, it also, in that situation, leads to murder. And that can lead to murder. And that breaks the sixth commandment. You must not murder. And if you did this on a Sunday, oh, now you're really in trouble. Then you're breaking the fourth commandment. And then, if you're accused of stealing, and you start lying about it, and you bring a false testimony witness, and then all of this comes to a point where you can maybe even break 7 and 9 in this one. James 2, listen to this. James 2, 10 and 11 says this. For whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles just at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Why? Because there's this interconnectedness. And for... He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And you've broke them all. So please remember this. In the law, there's an interconnectedness. You just break one, oh, I'm just going to steal. Look at all the others that you do. And I, I wanted to spend more time just looking. I was going to even look at each of the Ten Commandments and see how that one breaks the other ones. I just didn't have time to do that. I don't have time to get a PhD right now. But it's amazing how they are all connected. But what's wrong with stealing? How, how does this speak of, because we're looking at the way of the cross, how does stealing speak of the cross? 
Seeing the gospel in each of the laws is very important. I wanted to take time and do this. It would be great to go through the Ten Commandments and see how each of them point to the cross. Stealing, for instance. What's wrong with stealing? Well, the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, All things were created by Him, they're speaking of Christ, and for Him. All things belong to Christ. And when you steal, you steal something that belongs to Him. You are a thief in your heart and in your actions, and you need forgiveness. And in Christ, the only way true forgiveness is found is in the cross. I mean, ultimately, all laws point to the cross. And we saw that last week. We see that we are supposed to obey the laws. We should obey them. We don't. So God does in the cross. He saves us. The gospel message is right there. But the law without the gospel is a dangerous thing. Let me say this. Listen to this. Law without the gospel is a dangerous thing. So, listen to this. Humans have loved to treat and transform the commandments. We as people love to take laws and commandments and treat them in a different way or transform them in different ways. Let me give you a few examples. One is legalism. Have you heard that word before? Have you lived that word before? If you've been in the church more than five years, most likely you have. Churches are perfect arenas to cultivate legalism. Self-righteousness. They focus on the letter of the law and not the spirit and intent of the law. They come up with cheap rules that miss the point. Rules with no grace. I grew up in a church with rules and no grace. It was all about look external, look this way, and that will be the way to do it. And then you'll be the righteous one. They build a religious box and stuff you inside of it and conform you to its dimensions. And the methods they use are guilt, fear, and self-righteousness. Some people take the law and they make it legalistic. That's not the intent of the law. That's not the purpose. Or, here's another way people do it. The second way, they love to boastfully display, look, I obey every part of the law. Look at how nice I am. I even wore a tie. I didn't wear a tie today. I'm in trouble. Oh! Gratefully, we're not a church that you have to wear ties at. You can if you want. Excellent. But you, some people love to go, look, I've done this. I remember as a kid, I went to this Christian school. And you got awards for memorizing Bible verses. And they would give you a chapter each month. And we had certain people at the school. I remember this one kid, he could just whip through it faster than I could. And I thought I was pretty quick at it. He would just memorize the thing. And he just go, here is the chapter I memorized today. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art come from God, for no man could... What? And he would just kind of walk around and go, I've got the chapter down this week. And some people are like that with law, the Bible. They kind of walk around and go, look at my cool Bible. I've got the double parallel study Bible. Oh. What? 
boastfully they prance around looking more for a reputation and not loving God or loving people. Dangerous. Dangerous. Or another one, ignoring the law. It's like you go to the doctor and you've got some problems and you're not feeling well. You go to the doctor, you're sitting at the the waiting room and you get a magazine and you're like, oh, it's a doctor magazine or it's, oh, you know, whatever. And you're looking through this magazine and you realize, oh, I'm probably very sick. Oh my goodness. Close that. I'm leaving. Boom. And you leave. I don't want to go to the doctor and hear the bad news and hear all the things that's wrong with me. I'll just ignore that and I'll be fine. Some people like to do that. Maybe you've done that sometimes in your life. Ignoring the law will not help you. Just like ignoring the doctor will not help help you. Some people just ignore the law. Or some people, and this has become the trend within Christianity in the West, they treat them like a nice, bunch of nice, good chicken soup for the soul principles. Let, let me adorn myself with a bunch of these cool, lovely ways that God has said, oh, do this and do this. Oh, these, these are nice. You have that in one area of your life. Then you've got your little vices in another area of your life that you kind of just go, well, these are things I'm just struggling on, and okay, (laughs) you make jokes, petty jokes about them. But you just treat these like nice principles. Dangerous. Dangerous. They're not just nice principles. Or you narrow them to your own situation. The last one I kind of thought of was you narrow them to your own situation. For instance, in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, love your neighbor. This is what happened in the New Testament. The religious people are like, well, love your neighbor? Well, I'm going to choose who my neighbor is. I'm just going to love my neighbor, but you know my enemy? That person is not my neighbor, so I'm going to hate them. I'm just going to love my neighbor and just kind of choose this, and I'm not going to love my, my enemies. Really, they're looking, what can I get away with? in this law. Oh, my mind thinks of many ways to fix each of the hunting regulations we have in Washington State. I think of different ways I can skirt around it going, you know what, I, you know, it doesn't really say this, so I'm going to make sure I can, well, maybe, and you try to make the rules and regulations fit your situation to help you. They're quick to follow God on their own terms. And that's why Jesus says, you have heard it said. We'll look at that in a while. So humans love to treat and transform the laws and regulations in many contorted ways. But what does Jesus do? How does Jesus treat the law and transform the law? I'm going to get ready to sit down here in a moment. How does Jesus do this? Well, first of all, we must know that in Romans we see the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. So let's turn to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus transforms and treats the law in truly a different way than we humans love to. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew 5, 17. The last part says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ doesn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Three points. Number one, He fulfills them by His perfect righteousness. That which none of us can do. He fulfills them by His perfect righteousness. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5. He fulfills them by His perfect righteousness. And number two, and that He and His teachings are what the Old Testament pointed to. We've been talking about this the whole time. The law points to. So He fulfilled the law's prediction. He fulfills the law's prediction Listen to this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? Question mark. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was there to point to Christ. And He fulfilled that. Its purpose. He fulfilled that. Listen to this. If God's character is manifested in the law, that's what we saw last week, so is Christ's character manifested in the law. Okay? Here's where I need to sit down. Here is the radical call that Jesus gives us in the law. He doesn't just abolish them and say, boo-hoo to these things. He transforms them to a deeper, radical call that we must adhere to. It is very serious. Or as Professor Clowney says, Jesus fulfills by deepening its meaning and by transforming it as he gives it to us. Here it is. Here's the law, but Jesus gives us a higher standard. Oh, you think the law is this. You think it's just don't steal. But Jesus goes beyond that, higher than that, and transforms it to a greater call. That's what we're going to look at today. He brings a deeper level of interpreting all of God's laws. The law is deep and it goes beyond what they thought and what they transformed it and what Jesus teaches it. The right understanding comes from Christ. So I'm going to look at two chapters as we see this. The first one is Matthew chapter 5. Here we have people that have a very narrow context. They're thinking of the law in a very narrow sense. They're thinking, let's just have every one of these laws, and let me just, each one, there it is by itself, I'm going to abide by this, next one, abide by this. They have very legal interpretations of the law. Listen to this. This is very serious. Christians are to transcend beyond the basic standards of the law in Christ. We are to go beyond this. Jesus moves from the external obedience, I did not steal, then I'm okay. I did not commit adultery, then I'm okay. He goes beyond the external obedience to purity and motive of the heart. 
And he gives the true explanation of the law found in himself. For instance, the sixth commandment. What's the sixth commandment? You can look up there. What does it say? You must not murder. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 21. Think of this as we read this. Jesus looks at the law. He doesn't abolish it, but he goes beyond it. He transforms it to a greater, deeper level. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be in subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Look at me. Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Oh, I didn't murder. I'm fine. But inside, you're angry and you hate someone? Jesus transcends. He goes beyond the law and says, you know what? He gets to the heart of the issue. It's not just murder, it's anger. How many of you have ever been angry at someone? They're, okay, then we'll talk about liars. That's coming up soon. <laughs> How many of you murdered someone? We're not going to raise our hands there. Then you might move around with my neighbor. Okay. Jesus, he goes beyond. He goes to a deeper level. He says, some of you are just like, I didn't murder. There, I'm fine. Check mark. I'm okay before God. Jesus says, wake up. I'm here to tell you if you even have anger towards a brother, anger towards someone, you also will be in judgment. It's not murder. The real core issue is anger. 1 John 3.15 Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Here's where I need to sit down again. I thought following God was just all about Jesus. He died for me, and that's great. And I go on. If you are a Christian, if God has called you to be his own, Christ makes a radical call to you saying, if you have hatred, you need to sit down and wake up. If you want to follow me completely, if you want to be completely devoted, if you want to say, I belong to him, if you have anger, get rid of it. Do all that you can to get rid of anger. Because really, when you have anger in your heart, it's just like murder. Woe to you. What a radical call he makes. What's the seventh commandment? You must not commit adultery. Let's look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Jesus goes to the heart of the issue. It's not about adultery. It's about lust. Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of me, it's not like, oh, I've got my little, here's my little laws and commandments, I'm keeping each one of them. Let's get to the heart of the issue. 
Are you an angry person? Deal with it in me, in the cross. If you are a person who's got lust in your you need to stop and deal with this right now. You need to just fight with this, even to the point of cutting off things. Just declare war on sin. Or as Hebrews says, you haven't even struggled with it, even to the point of shedding blood. This is amazing. It's not just about rules and regulations, check marks. He transcends, he goes beyond, looks at the heart of the issue. The commandment, Leviticus 19, 18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, then it says, and hate your enemy. Now when I went back to Leviticus, it doesn't say that. But people are great at making their own rules, adding little stipulations to each of the law. Well, I'm going to say these are my neighbors, and I tell you what, Steeler fans, they're not my neighbors, so I'm going to hate them. Or some of you with this cougar and the husky thing, well, that's on the other side. We're quick to define who's in my camp and who's not. So were the people at this time. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I have some enemies. We have some enemies. When's the last time you prayed for your enemies? Well, we're quick to complain about our enemies. We're quick quick to um, get on Facebook and gripe about our enemies and post all these things to help change our enemies' minds. I am personally tired of church people complaining instead of praying. The church gets things done by praying. That's how we move. His radical call is not just love your neighbor, but pray for your enemies. What? He transcends the law. He gets to the heart of the issue. It's not about selfishness. It's about love. When Jesus was asked, well, what's, okay, let's talk about the law. How did he summarize the law? Love God, love others. First four commandments, love God, love others. Love is the core of it. In these things, Jesus goes to the extreme measures to awaken the people to look at the heart of the issue. Jesus gives a higher standard. The law is here now, but in me, the law is higher. If you call yourself a Christian, you should look at the law and just go, okay, that's that. But in Christ, he has called me to this more supreme way of following him and looking at heart issues. Let's turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Here is a rich young man. Let me just give you the summary of how God transforms the law in Christ. The eighth commandment is what? Do not steal bread. Even though Pastor Cody loves bread, don't steal it. This is what Christ, and we see this in in the rest of the New Testament. 
Christ in the New Testament does this. Don't steal. That's the law here. But they transcend. They go beyond that and say, don't steal. Instead, give away. Go beyond just stealing. Stealing is for me. Instead, give away stuff. Here's a rich guy. I want to follow you. I I want eternal life. What must I do? Jesus says, well, here's the law. Here's what you must do. Oh, I've obeyed each of those checkmark things. I've done that. That won't do it. Because in Christ, we must go beyond that. In Christ, he says this. Look at verse 21. Verse 20 says, I've kept all this, the young man said. What do I still lack? He's missing the heart of the commandments. He's been so legalistic, and he's got some issues that Jesus sees and gets into. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then follow me jesus gets to the heart of the issue it's not just stealing we are to give give what we have i'm gonna sit down if you belong to christ and when you read the law don't just read the law and go check i've done that check i'm not a stealer okay We are to have wholeheartedness, total devotion. Everything belongs to Him. Every part of things that I own, they're all His. But Jesus saw that this rich man, that was His God. I'm not giving in to these idols. I'm keeping these idols. What do you hold on to that keeps you from God and His supremacy of this transformation in the law. How many of you deal with anger? How many of you deal with bitterness? How many of you still struggle with lust? How many of you still struggle with, oh, your possessions, I have all my little kingdom, here it is. Christ gives a radical call. It is profound. And let me just tell you, these last three weeks studying the law has not been as it would have been when I was a little boy. Here's the law. Check, check, check. Oh, Cody's doing really good. Oh, I messed up on that one. This last three weeks has transformed my understanding of the beauty of the law in Christ. It's not just about do's and don'ts. It's about total devotion Do I completely belong to Him? That's what Christ... We see this all throughout all of Scripture. Total devotion. But I sometimes don't do that. Lent is not about what should I give up for 40 days. Every day should be a complete emptying of all that I have for the high and mighty King because what He's done for me. Every day is Lent. Every day is total devotion. It isn't like, should I give up chocolates this 40 days? Should I give up coffee? Well, I can't do that. 
Should Pastor Cody give up shooting guns for 40 days? Total devotion. Everything belongs to him. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Wholehearted devotion. Am I living the false facade of religion? Pretty on the outside. I do good things. I don't cheat, don't chew, don't hang out with the girls that do. Over that song went in the 80s. What do you do? You know, all this external stuff, yet on the inside, you're full of all the inward motives that drive those outward things. Wake up. Sit down and examine your heart. And this should not lead to boo-hoo, woe is me, I'm an idiot, I'm going to fail. This leads to joy because Doing, fixing all those things you cannot fix. He does in the cross. He gives life. He imparts true joy. He imparts this perfect heart that we should have in him. It's found in him. Do you really hear the call, the radical call of Jesus? Total devotion. Radical devotion. Gandhi said this. I like your Christ. Remember Gandhi's in India. Did he follow Jesus? He followed Hinduism and all the different things down there, right? Listen to what he said. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Time to sit down again. Where are you in this? Are you that legalistic person? Do you run from the law? Do you? Jesus transforms this. To really know God, to really follow Him and understand Him, we need to know what pleases Him. Be holy. Be devoted. Maintain this relationship that He's given you in holy living. To know his character is to show his character. That's total devotion. To know his character is to show this character of godly living. We are to respond to the deliverance and the salvation moment by living in the term that he lays out. And Jesus comes and says, Oh, you've been following the law like this. In fact, some of you have changed the law. You've tweaked it. You've done this. But I call you to a higher level. Look at the heart of this. Here's the question I'm going to end with. I want you to think about this. If you would gauge your love for God by your obedience to the law of Christ, what would it be? Uh Uh-oh. Well, some of you want to gauge your love for God by the rules and regulations. Go, I didn't murder, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't steal, I didn't do this. Well, now let's look at what Jesus says. He looks at the heart of the issue. If you would gauge your love for God by your obedience to the law of Christ, what would it be? What would it look like? He transforms it. On the back of your sheet that you have of your notes... I have listed just a few verses on how Jesus transforms just the Ten Commandments. Each of these. In the Gospels, 
and in the rest of the New Testament. These are verses I encourage you to go home and read and think about your walk with Christ. And here we have joy. Let me end with this. You can be one who runs away from the law of Christ. Just like someone who's sick runs away from a doctor. Not a good thing. Or you can follow the standard that you've always done in churches you've gone to before, legalistic, get all your little ducks in a row, look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead, rotting bones. You're whitewashed on the outside, but boy, you stink on the inside, and you're dying and decaying. Or you can, with me, sit down and say, Lord, transform my heart. I'm tired of appeasing you by the rules and laws I think I can keep to make you happy. His pleasure is in seeing Christ, His righteousness on us. That's what salvation is about. Do not for a moment think that rules and regulations are what save you. Remember, Exodus 14 first, then... Chapter 20, the law comes. Salvation first. To know his character is to display his character, live his character, show his character. What do you look like at work when people get angry? Do you join with them? What do you look like when there's a movie on and there's a scene you're looking for the fast-forward button? What's in your heart? Do you truly know Christ? If you're struggling, lay it down. He is the Savior. He is the liberator. He is the one who transforms the law and transforms the people in the law. Amen? Let me pray.